And welcome to the Men Up Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. Lamar Wobble. What up, y'all? Today, my friends, on the Men Up Podcast, I am very excited to have a very special guest on the pod today, Mr. Thomas C. Knox, the one and the only connection curator, Emmy award-winning producer and host of Date While You Wait is in the house to have the conversation of conversations with us about manhood and masculinity. Thomas, what up, though? Bro, that, that's incredible, man. You've done a, such a great job introducing the brother. What's going on, man? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Uh, glad, glad to have you. As we you were making our lists of, of people that we wanted to have on the show, you know, we were, we were looking at like, man, like we actually know a lot of dope and really cool people. Um, and so it's just a matter of like getting all these dope people to come speak their truth about their experiences in their life. And so we're, we're happy to have you on. And so um, can you just start off by telling us a little bit about what the hell is a connection curator and what what do you do as a connection curator? You know, it's funny because uh, the whole connection curator title has come through life experience. It wasn't something like it's not your, your typical you know, title for a job. Um, so it's it's all based on life experience, but it, it came about through uh, me starting out with Date While You Wait, which was a connection uh, series I started in New York where I sat in the subway and played board games with people. Um, and it got very big and I've, I've been able to travel the world and I've been, every, been in every major publication just creating connection. And from there, I've been able to transition into other types of businesses that allow me to connect, um, whether it's through through education, through events, uh, and so on. So, you know, I do apparel. Um, so as a connection curator, I do a lot of curating connections <laughs> in many different ways. So I guess this is a, the, the title says it all. Why focus on cultivating connections with people, Thomas? Like, what is that motivation for you? Growing up, I was always the, the outgoing class clown jokester. Um, you know, my friends that know me know that I'm, I'm always down for a good time. And I used to curate connections, but some would say in negative ways, right? Like I, I'll be like making noise in school or, or in class or, you know, being sent to the, to the dean's office. Um, and I think as I've gotten older, I matured and I, I, I never knew what I was going to be like. Graduating high school, I just wanted to get out. That was my goal, get the hell out. So once I got out, I kind of just my life kind of just took, was it was in, it was all over the place. It just kind of took its own twists and turns. And I, and I was able to, you know, work for Apple. So I ended up working for Apple for seven years. And then out of nowhere, I come up with this, this, uh, this thing called date while you wait. <laughs> and that kind of just changed my life. What is it about date while you wait? Why do you think that that resonates with folks? Like why, why were they coming up to play board games with you to talk to you? Right? Like what, why is that something you think people are really drawn to? I think people want to connect. Um, connection is something that we all really, really uh, yearn. Um, and sometimes we don't know how to do it. We don't know what ways and what resources are out there. Um, I find that when I'm sitting in a subway having conversations with people, they're willing to share information about themselves that they wouldn't necessarily tell a coworker or maybe a family member because they may be embarrassed or maybe uncomfortable. Whereas I'm a stranger, I'm never going to put that information out there. Um, and then, you know, when, when you talk to a stranger, a lot of times uh, their experiences, you don't know. You, 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 it's your first time uh, hearing it. So to be able to bounce ideas off of each other and to be able to 
dive in a little bit deeper on something that you you can share in that moment, but you may never see that person again. Uh, it's, it can be enticing for someone who is uh, who's traveling or commuting on their way home. It's date while you wait. Like, obviously, you're not trying to find a date, but was there ever a misconception about what it really was? And, like, how did you kind of, like, debunk that uh, in the beginning? A- absolutely. So everyone thought it was about romantic dating. Uh, and it, the reason we chose the name, and when I say we, it's, it was me and two of my friends, was because it just sounded cool. It had a cool ring to it have a date while you wait. Uh, dating for me has always been something that is not always specific to romance. Like I go out on dinner dates and lunch dates with my friends. Um, so everybody thought it was about romantic dating, but it was not. My goal was to create a space, or I guess my goal is, because date while you wait still exists. My goal is to create a space where anybody's welcome and we just have a conversation. You can be, uh, you know, you can be five years old. I have, I have conversations with kids and play board games with kids. Or you can be in your 80s. I've, I've had conversations with, you know, people that are in, uh, in their 80s. So it doesn't matter. The space is just uh, a place I want to create for people just to take a moment and to kind of look at their commute differently. Can you tell us a story about how you met? Uh, is it David Katz? Yeah, David Katz for the show. Yeah. So like, so talking about connections and, and then utilizing that connection to create something bigger that you thought was possible. So David Katz was... Uh, my manager at Apple when I worked at Apple and he was doing his own thing. Like we, we never connected around uh, TV or around de- developing a show, but he was just a great manager. He just always was, was there when I, when I, when I was working there. Um, so, you know, you fast forward five, six, seven years and um, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a show idea for day while you wait. And he was somebody that was suggested that I touch base with because he works in production and he has a TV series. Um, so when he and I connected, he was like, this sounds like a great idea, but DYUA is all about connections. So let's build a show around building connections. Um, but he and I met back in my Apple days and he was like one of the best managers that I had uh, working for the company. So Apple does, Apple is one of those companies where they have a ton of really, really incredible creatives that do really, really incredible things. Um, but you never know unless you like have a conversation because <laughs> everybody's there to work. So uh, I'm glad he and I were able to connect because now we, you know, we produce a show uh, that's, you know, won several awards, including an Emmy. So really thankful for that. Like you worked for this guy for, you know, a couple of years and then y'all connected later on after you left Apple to kind of create this show. What are some of your tips for like keeping in touch? Like how do people maintain connection and relationships uh, even when they're not working with people anymore? Or how do you deem who's important? And, and that's the tough part, I think, where a lot of people think that, well, this person can help me get here, so I better keep in touch. But like, how do you choose who and when and how to stay in touch with and stay connected to? I don't have any specific formula. <laughs> I just reach out to people based on value. If I could bring you value, you could bring me value. Why not? Sometimes value can be created through conversation. Right? It can just be like, maybe you post something about, you know, you want to learn more about connection. And I see the post and I just hit you up and say, hey, this is what I can support you in. Um, I just think, you know, it's not always about how much you're going to make. It's not always about, uh, it's not always about getting something. Sometimes it's just a, a like preliminary conversation. Um, so I've, I've had several of those where, I, where I'll have a conversation with someone and it turns into something. Or I'll have a conversation with someone and it turns into nothing. It's just, it was just a conversation and it was what they, were, they needed in that moment. Um, so me, I prioritize 
value more, more than anything, understanding like what value can I bring more so than what can I get? Because I'm getting value when, when I uh, engage and when I share. One thing about me, I'm very, I'm, I'm a, because I'm so outgoing, I could talk to anybody. So I'm not afraid to reach out to someone and take a chance. And they say to me, I can't help you with that or I'm not interested. I'm like, okay, cool, you're not interested, but do you know someone who is? Do you know someone who can help me with that? And I think that's been that's been kind of my bread and butter and in, in how I've been able to develop connections. It sounds like the two things there, Thomas, that that you really use are one, being open to reaching out to folks and being okay if they say, no, I can't help you or, or no, there, there's there's nothing here, right? And being open to like, there might not be uh, a connection, right? Or, or something to like work with through together. But then the other thing is, the fact that you approach it with what value can I bring? And then like, what value can you bring me? That, that's a significant shift. Cause I think a lot of times, and I think Lamar was, was sort of getting to this a little bit. It's, it's, well, what value can that person bring to me? And this is why I'm reaching out, but you're, you're flipping it on, on its head a little bit and saying like, what value can I bring to you? And so that's a really powerful reframe. Everybody has things they're trying to accomplish. Everybody has things that they want to do. But if I'm going to ask you for your support with something, how can I support you as well? Uh, I think that's the mindset that I've always kind of gone to, you know, whenever I reach out to somebody specifically for like help or specifically for a project. Um, but again, you know, sometimes I just hit people up and be like, yo, how's, how's life? How's the family? You know, I hit Lamar every time as well. You know, he's one of my homies. So, you know, it just kind of depends on what's happening in life or what you see. And, you know, uh, I just put out a post on social media that said, when you, you know, we're, we're always letting people know when they're doing bad, but we don't do a great job letting people know when they're doing good. So, and it, and it's sometimes it's it's not only just friends and family, but we should do it to strangers. If someone gives you good service, say hey, thank you for the service because that's how they're going to get better. So I think those are things, those are little things you can you can sprinkle into your life to uh, to just put out positivity and, and make things a lot easier. Obviously, day while you wait was is like the the big thing. You you put on all kinds of events and all kinds of platforms to give people opportunity to connect. Can you just run through some of the different types of things that you've done and not specifically like some of the names of these events and what, what you're doing? Yeah, well, a lot of my events are all focused on bridging the gap between two industries. So um, I, have, I have a event series called Behind the Image where we have creatives come share their stories about their experiences and how they got into the industry. And then we raffle off some of their work. Um, I have a dinner series, Food for Thought, but we dissect an, an album over a three to five course uh, brunch or dinner. Um, so all my events, and, and there's some other ones, but all my events are focused on trying to bridge the gap between two different industries or two different min, uh, mediums. Um, and the goal is to get people in the space that are interested in, in that. So that way the conversation is gonna flow a lot easier but because we know everyone in this space has an interest in photography or everybody, everybody in the space has an interest in Lauren Hill. So the conversation is much easier. It's kind of icebreaker before you even walk into the space. Um, and then I do a lot of initiatives. So like for Mother's Day, I give out Mother's Day cards. Um, I did like a flower initiative where I had people tag someone on social media and I hand deliver them flowers. Um, I'm, all, I'm always trying to do initiatives that are focused on just, just being, just giving people their flowers, um, encouraging people, acknowledgement. The work that we do, um, obviously we uh, have this podcast that we try to, um, you know, bring upon fairness, equity, uh, equality uh, for everyone, but through the lens of, of, you know, our perspective and 
really geared towards men to kind of like make the adjustment into what's new in our society in terms of what what's expected of a man or how we how we think men should be showing up or could be showing up. Have you had any events geared towards just men? During the beginning of the pandemic, I uh, saw that there was a need for more, I guess, opportunity for, for men. So I created a book club, a virtual book club called the My Brother's Keeper Book Club. And uh, we've been doing it now for, it's been like four iterations. We've read, no, three. We've read uh, three different books. We've read uh, Let Us to a Young Brother by Hill Hopper. Uh, we've read uh, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And we just finished literally last week, uh, Kindred by Octavia Butler. Um, so yeah, I decided to create this book club because I feel like all my, all my female friends are like, I'm in book clubs, but none of, none of my male friends have been in book clubs. So I, I created this book club. I created an uh, accountability fee. So I had each brother pay, pay in. And what the fee was is basically say, hey, I'm going to come every single week. And if I miss a week, the money that I put in is you can use toward my book. Um, and I and I gave every single brother uh, a free book, free copy of the book. So as long as they came every single week, they got to keep their money and a free copy of the book on me. Um, and it's been great. Uh, it's 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 interesting you ask because obviously I'm going to turn it into hopefully a podcast. Uh, we I've been I've been approached to record our conversations because they're so powerful and the brothers at the end of each conversation they're like, man, I really needed this. Like this this was the highlight of my week. And then it's a safe space for us. So that's what I wanted to create. I wanted to create a safe space where Black men could just have a conversation about real things going on, but also tap into the same book and share our different perspective. I'm wondering, Thomas, through the book club, you know, are there other, other things that have been coming up in your conversations uh, with these men beyond just the book, right? Or, or whatever, you know, sort of themes or things that are going on in that book, you know, what does it bring up? Uh, when we step back and talk about manhood, masculinity, some of the things that the guys are going through, whether it's, you know, pandemic or post-pandemic. Yeah. Like what are some of the things you're hearing or, or that folks are processing through? There's a lot. Uh, there's actually one that stands out to me uh, from this last book we read. Uh, there was a portion in the book and I won't give the book. Away. I definitely suggest reading it. But there's a portion in the book where I I was speak, speaking up about what I my perspective and I shared that. Uh, one of the characters was a black woman. I was like, man, she's a strong black woman, man. She's such a strong black woman. And one of the guys stopped me and was like, why do black women always have to be strong? We don't say that for other reasons. And it opened up some dialogue. Um, and we ended up having like a two hour conversation on how men, you know, sometimes we look at black women or we look at our women. Um, and I, I challenged the guys to go out and ask the women in their lives, do they feel strong and what makes them strong? Um, and it became an exercise that we, we uh, had more open dialogue about uh, throughout, the, throughout the club, so throughout the session. So that, that's one thing. And then, you know, a lot of the brothers, they're, they're going through real life stuff, right? So you got jobs, you have families. And to be able to take a second and jump on a, jump on a Zoom and have a conversation about something that, that you can relate with other men about is something that guys are really, really interested in. Um, and it, and it's, it, it's, it's a little unfortunate because I, I limit the, cl the, uh, the club of, to a, a, a minimum of people because our uh, maximum of people, because I, I want everybody to have a chance to connect, everybody to have a chance to speak. But it, you know, I've, I've had so many, so much interest because 
it's a safe space for brothers. Just listening to you talk about this book club gives me a lot of hope, right? That the fact that there are groups like this, that folks like yourself starting, you know, these kind of initiatives, whether it's book clubs or other ways of engaging men in these conversations uh, and challenging us, right? In our, in our ideas of um, not just what it means to be a man in our society, but like, what does it mean for the women in our society? And what are, you know, the standards and, and the ways in which we're holding them to things that are unfair or not and, and question those things. And so, I wonder for you, like through whether it's the book club, the other events you're doing, or or just the community that you're seeing around yourself, like what's what's giving you hope about the way that men or all of us are thinking about or reconsidering or questioning ideas of manhood, masculinity, and and patriarchy broadly? For me, the the thing is, I can only control what I do, right? And leading by example is is it, it, it doesn't it doesn't get any any bigger than that. I think right. it's important to lead by example. I've had good examples of men in my life who have challenged me, who have held, held me accountable, who have put me in situations to succeed. Um, so I, I would say the biggest thing is surrounding myself, uh, uh, surrounding myself around other men that I admire, I look up to, I'm inspired by, I'm encouraged by, um, asking the hard questions. You know, we talk, we talk a lot about, um, and even in the book club, we talk a lot about how you know, we, we spend this hour sharing and touching base with each other, but that's only an hour. What happens outside of that, right? How do we reconnect with the world? You know, how do you take what you learned? How do I take what I'm learning in this conversation and share with, you know, a 15 year old or a 16 year old in my life? Um, so I think that's the, the biggest thing leading by example, but also masculinity and even manhood has, has evolved through the years. If I ask my dad, who's that's 67, 68 years old, what is manhood to him? It, it's, it's, it was different in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and what it is now. Um, and even, you know, you hear a lot of the elders say, you know, yeah, young folks are soft. And, but, but, but they can't right. Google anything. When they need something Google, they'll come to me. My dad's like, can you Google something for me, right? So <laughs> I, think, I think understanding that we're, we're all unique in how, how we, we're navigating this, this world and, and the times are evolving, so we're evolving with it. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I guess deep, getting even deeper, it's 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 also trying to uh, debunk what happens within our maybe within your families or within within your race of people and live into your truths. You know, I'm I'm unap- I'm unapologetically me. Like I don't care if people like me. I don't care if people rock with me. It's up to you if you want to. But for me, I, I know who I am, and I, and that wasn't something that happened overnight. It took years and years of heartache. It took years and years of triumph. Um, so that's something that I think needs to be uh, talked about as well and, and remembered as well. You mentioned uh, softness, right? And, and how the old school generation was like, oh, y'all soft, right? How, how do you and like some of the brothers in the, in the book club, because obviously I was in the book club for that, that first run and I experienced a lot of these brothers from all over right? Philadelphia, New York, DC, places that you've been and done work in. And I felt the, the gentleness. I felt the love. I felt the, the safety and the vulnerability. I felt all that. And they need, it felt like they needed that space because maybe there's other places in their life where they don't get that space. So how do we, um, as men doing this work, like how do we say it's actually okay to be softer? Being soft or being gentle, um, 
Well, let me let me backtrack. So I don't want to get off your. I don't want to uh, not answer your question. But let me say this: uh, I, I once was at an event, and and I also actually recently did a podcast and talked about this as well. But I was at an event, and at the event, I brought up the the fact that men are looked at as protectors, right? Men are protectors, but is it is it wrong that a man wants to feel protected? Like, is there something wrong with that? And I brought it up at this event and, and it literally started an argument. Like, like people were mad. <laughs> the women were like, no, men are protectors. And the men were like, well, like he, he has a point. And it became this, this weird argument. And I realized that, again, society says men should protect and be hard. And I, my dad always uses the term iron horse. I'm an iron horse. And then now he's like, I'm in my 60s. I'm sensitive. I cry now. Um, so, so, so to get to, yeah, he's, he's like, I'm sensitive. I can't help myself. So to, to answer your question, I think, uh, encouraging softness, right? Like if you see something as, as they say in New York city, if you see something, say something, if I know that, you know, maybe, maybe you had a family member pass, how about I encourage you to cry? I encourage you to be emotional, right? I encourage, I'm like, my, Hey, my guy, I know it's a lot on you, brother. Like, I'm here to listen to you. If you need to cry, like, just say the words. If you need to let it out, I'm here. And I've had that happen with me. Um, or, you know, with your partner, bringing it up to your partner, like, hey, I'll, like, what, in what ways do you feel protected? I always like to ask questions first before I get, or, or, or I'll say my part first before I ask a question, like, um, rather. So I'll be like, hey, I feel this way about this. How do you feel? Rather than being like, how do you feel first? Um, so I would say ask your partner or ask someone, you know, ask the people in your lives, your parents, family, ask them, like, how do they feel protected by you? And then maybe ask them, how, how, do, how can they protect you? How do they feel they're protecting you? I know for me growing up, my, my, my parents, they took, they're two total opposite people. They love me totally different. And, I, and I, I, there, were, there were times where I had animosity toward the way one loved me because it was different than the other. But it wasn't because they were trying to trying to be mean or, or it was just the way they were raised. It was what they knew. But I didn't understand that because I never asked those questions. So once I asked the questions, it made way more sense to me. And then I had I, I empathized with them. I sympathized with them on, on how that looked. Um, and now I look at it different. And again, it's it's not easy. Right. It's not easy having these conversations. It could be a challenge, but you got to go into it saying, hey, the outcome is going to be worth the conversation. So Thomas, I, I got to say like, this is, this is incredible. So while you were talking, I was getting a phone call from my mom, talked to her regularly uh, and recently uh, had been talking to her and like processing through some of the stuff that like happened when I was a kid. Right. And really what it came down to is to your point, my parents loving in different ways. Right. And, and I think like there's some, for me, like some animosity sometimes, you know, with one or the other or both, right. Depending on how they showed up and, I had the thought this morning, I have to call her back after we record this, uh, just acknowledging to her, like, you know, I actually really appreciate how you showed up, mom, in these ways, and actually appreciate the way dad showed up in these ways, right? So it's just so powerful, it's resonating with me in this moment that you like, you brought that up as well, too. That's what it's all about. Uh, also, yeah. think about this, too. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom uh, was a substance abuser, so I was in foster care, and I was and I ended up in the group homes and mm. I had all this weird animosity to my mom. And then one day I, I was having a conversation with a friend and she was telling me about her experience and how great her experience was growing up. And it resonated with me. So then I went back and my mom's been clean and sober probably like 20 years now. So she's doing great. But, yeah, after her. but yeah, I'm, I'm so proud of her. 
So I, I went to her and I was like, hey, I just, I'm just wondering, how did it feel being pregnant with someone in the 80s, you know, during this, during the, the, the you know, this drug, this drug epidemic? And how did you make it through it? And when she explained it to me, she was like, my goal was to have a, was, was to have a healthy baby, right? Everything else was hard, but my goal was to have a healthy baby. And in my mind, I, I had a better understanding of it. Like the, the animosity that I had to her, I'm not saying it went away, but you know, in some ways it was a healing conversation, right? And we don't do a lot of healing. You know, there's two parts to me to working on, on healing, especially with these relationships with people that you love and care about that really run deep. Um, and one way is, is finding out what their story is. Think about how many kids actually don't know their, their parents' story about what they've been through, why they show up the way they show up, how they were raised, like actually knowing and asking and like trying to empathize with their experience. Cause what you said was once I heard that, I was like, Oh, it's just a different time in a different place. She did what she needed to do, which was produce a healthy baby to give you an opportunity to live a life. Right. And that was all she could think about at the time. And like, it does give perspective in a way that is like, man, like she must've been really going through it. You know what I mean? But like we do what we had to do. And then the second part of that, of that healing is like, not only asking for the perspective so that you could be like, okay, I understand that. I can understand why you did that. The second part of that is learning how to have forgiveness and deeper conversations around, you know, when you understand where this person has been through and then you can forgive and alleviate some of that resentment that you've been holding on to, then you can break through that and come out the other side. And now you'll have an opportunity to create something new. And like you said, it's not perfect, right? But you're so, it is different than what it was before you had that conversation, right? And that's, that's the shift in, I think, breaking through. That's the shift in mindset. That's the shift in holding on to burdens and resentment and moving on from it, right? Is being able to do those things. And I think those are the things that people don't appreciate that are like, you know, even when I coach people, I'm like, that's the life changing moment is that when you can shift out of burden and carrying that weight and resentment and move into a space of creating something new. If you never had that conversation with your mom, you can't go now tell this story to an audience or to a, a group of people that you're working with to encourage them to be able to go do it. And that's a, just another deeper level of connection. Tom, it's a reoccurring theme that I've heard here is questions, right? Whether it is, you know, taking the questions from the book club, right? Like the, the fact that you're doing that kind of questioning through reading, through analysis and taking that into your life beyond the book club, or what I'm guessing is taking questions right through date while you wait, like you're asking questions of people, right? And, and you just generally have shared so much about how asking questions has been transformative in your life. What advice can you give to folks about the practice of asking questions of ourselves, of one another, right? Because it seems like such an important element to whether it's redefining manhood and masculinity or showing up in new ways in our communities and, and for our people, like asking questions is so critical. The biggest thing is, is you got to have the courage to, to, to be able to, you know, be able to get an answer you, you, don't, you, you don't want. <laughs> There's times I ask questions that I can answer, and I'm like, ah, okay. Um, and then, and then there are times where I'll get an answer, and I and I ask the person to elaborate, or I'll be like, oh, I don't quite understand that. Can you 
can you tell me in a different way? Um, so I would I definitely say having courage, having the courage to, to take the chance to ask the question, but, but also uh, courage is one side of it, but also being okay with knowing that you may not get what you're looking for. You may not get the answer you're looking for. Um, sometimes we, we, I know, I know there's times where I've been, I'll wait to ask someone something. I'll wait to send an email. I'll, I'll, I'll write it and wait to send it. And I'll be like, man, I don't know how he's going to answer this. And then I'll get an answer back and they will be like, okay. <laughs> or they'll be like, yes. And I'm like, man, I wasted all this time thinking so hard about sending this email or asking this question. Then right. the person's like, yes. So I, I think you have to have the courage to take the chance to ask. Um, that That's one side of it. And then uh, just being inquisitive, always being inquisitive. I, I, I like to say I'm, I'm always in discovery mode. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like a little kid and it's just discovering the world for the first time. So if I don't know something, I'm going to ask. And if I don't understand the response, you know, I'm going to let the person know. Um, and also just setting expectations. So, you know, a lot of times people be like, this is a stupid question. I don't like using that. I'll be like, you know, I'm not well versed in this area. Or I don't really understand this. So before I ask you this question, I just want to let you know I'm not well versed in this. So I would love to hear your thoughts. And then it kind of breaks the ice rather than me being like, like, this is a dumb question. Like, nah, it's, it's, I don't feel like it's a dumb question. You just don't know that area. You're not familiar with that. Um, so it's all about how you uh, position it, right? If you position it in a way where it's negative, the chances are you're going to get a negative response. But if you position it in a way where it's positive, you get a positive response. One of the things that we've started to practice here at the Men Up Podcast, Thomas, is that we want to open up space for our guests to ask us uh, any questions, right? We, we through, through the evolution of having different guests on, uh, have come to understand like, you know, we shouldn't be gatekeeping or this shouldn't be a one-sided conversation because like at the heart of what we're doing here, it's all about being in conversation. Yeah, man, that's actually a great idea. Uh, so I, I have two questions. One is how did you guys come up? And I'm sure you've probably been asked this, but how did you come up with the name, the Man Up Podcast? The quick answer there is, co-founder of Men Up and myself, uh, George Black, when we were creating Men Up six years ago, which started off like doing workshops, doing events uh, in our community at the time in New Haven, and then branching out and doing workshops uh, in schools across the country. You know, one of the things that we kept surfacing is this, is this saying, this trope of Men Up, right? And it, and it occurs in sports, it occurs in our daily lives, you know, there's this idea, like, if you're in sports, it's like, oh, you have, you are responsible for playing defense on that person, right? Or if it's in your personal life, it's, hey, whatever emotion you're experiencing, like, level up, push beyond it, like, whatever it is, right? And, and we realize that, like, I mean, that idea is, like, prevalent in so many different ways, is really toxic. Uh, and so we wanted to shift it. And so our shift for it was focusing instead of man up, it's men up, right? And the idea there is that like collectively, uh, we've got work to do, right? And I think that that was the second point is as we looked around and saw uh, the space where whether it was, you know, questioning masculinity, patriarchy in our society, uh, or just doing like the really hard, good work in our community. So often that falls to women, specifically women of color. And we were like, listen, we we have work to do as men and we need to be accountable and responsible for doing that work. I love it. I, th I think it's I think it's incredible. Uh, it, it definitely caught my eye when I was asked to be a part of this. I was like, no brainer. Um, so I love it. And then the, the second question I have is, what do you want listeners to get away from listening to you? For me it is very important for people to be able to leave with takeaways, strategies, 
perspective on how to live their life, particularly men, right? How to how to live their life going forward. And not saying that um, I think we bring on a lot of people that generally have the same mindset as us, but if we can teach or impart something new, a new way of being, uh, a piece of advice that they could put into their life and use, that's that's what I care about. So I think what you were saying around like um, asking questions, asking the hard questions of people that you love and care about that you might be caring resentment for, like that's a strategy like that can help somebody get further in life. And going back to something you said earlier, Thomas, about leading by example, my hope for the podcast here is that we're having conversations that, of course, for listeners are interesting, but more than that, are sparking conversations within themselves, but within their families and within their communities, right? Whether we're talking about uh, manhood and masculinity, or we're just talking about, to Lamar's point, you know, different strategies that we can implement in our daily lives to, to level up, that those conversations are happening, right? And and that we role model that, you know, I think, you know, one of the things we really try to do here is to be really vulnerable uh, about our own lives, about what we're going through, about the things that we're questioning. And I think the hope there is to lead by example and and support others in having those conversations too. Well, Thomas, thank you so much. Can we also add, Christian, I wanted to talk about this. So Thomas also uh, has a, a fashion company as well, uh and it's so, very fashionable uh, y'all can't see it but my goodness one of the most fashionable guests we've had on the men up podcast uh, so talk, you, you want to just talk about that briefly and just kind of share uh what that is i have a unique uh bow tie company i make bow ties out of scrabble um and, uh, the name of the company is be great bow ties and our mission is to it, it's so it's so funny when i when i say be great bow ties in my mind, because I say it so much, it's just another thing. But, but when I think about it, it's all about being great, right? Um, but <laughs> what our goal is, is to encourage our customers to be unique in style. So we encourage people to buy words and wear words that stand out to them. We use Scrabble as uh, Scrabble pieces as a main part of our bow ties. Um, so yeah, I have, I have big great bow ties. I'm not wearing one currently, but Usually I'm in one. <laughs> Thomas, I didn't know, to be honest, that you were the B-grade bow tie guy because I've seen Lamar wear this bow tie <laughs> many me. times. And I'm like, wow, that is a great bow tie. I need to get one of those because I love Scrabble. I don't look great in bow ties. I'm not going to lie. But these bow ties are fire, y'all. <laughs> all my companies, all my businesses, everything that I do is focused around creating connection, creating community. I, I try to encourage people to follow their dreams. Um you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book. I never thought I'd be writing a book, but I'm writing a book. Right. So I think, you know, I'm inspired by like you, you guys, right. Um, I, I'm, but I, I, I'll say this, you know, you could start with an idea, write it down. It could be in a book and you can write on a piece of paper and leave it in your, your bedroom, but sooner or later, go back to it and let it manifest. Um, if it's meant to be, it'll, it'll work itself out. I started sitting, literally sitting in the subway, and now I'm an Emmy winner, um, and I and that and I take very I take a lot of pride in that, not because of the award, but because of the experience and the journey it took to get to the award. I think that's the beauty of people that do dope stuff, is that it it it's about doing dope stuff, not like making a certain amount of money or getting a certain car or being able to buy a house or going on ten thousand trips. Like it's it's really about creating things that you love and care about 
and existing the way that you want to exist in the world, not exactly like what you do, but showing up how you want to show up. And I think that's the bigger takeaway from, from what you just said. Thomas, thank you so much. We hope you join us again sometime in following seasons. Uh, We we might need to figure out getting some uh, men up, be great bow ties. We might need to figure that out. So, uh, so yeah, Yeah. man. Oh, we might have to. You can do it, right? M-E-N-U-P? Anything's possible. Anything's possible. possible. There it is. The Men Up Podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.